Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hi ho, Mishka Shabali here. Uh, what's up, y'all? Um, man, I have so much to report. I just got back from two weeks in New York, and it was so so good and so weird uh going back and being back it was sort of like uh sort of like going back into a dream uh it's been such a long time since i've been back in new york the last time i was there was february 2020 and then uh covid the pandemic the shutdown has been so miserable that i think in my mind i sort of destroyed new york um told myself that it was uh radically transformed or undone or ruined or something like that so it was really weird to uh my running uh my running my my running wife uh ed kearns we were talking about uh running around in uh brooklyn and manhattan and not having enough water or food and just sort of bonking and then finding these uh trees i think i guess they're linden trees lingen trees somebody will correct me um these trees with blackberries on them And, uh, I would just, I would run and then I would like stand under the tree and just eat these blackberries until my, uh, my hands and my face were just, uh, purple from the juice. And then I could keep running. And when I was in New York, I, it was like that time of year where those trees were fruiting again. And so I went out and had the same experience of like running through this wet, uh, urine stink armpit of New York and eating the berries off the trees again. Um, so it was sort of like, I, you know, I I had told myself that New York was done or over or radically transformed, and I went back and found it largely the same. Um, specific things that not necessarily the thing things that I missed of like the smell of the subway on a hot day, um, but uh, but even that stuff, just I was like, oh yeah, I I man, I haven't smelled that stink since the last time I was here. Uh, that felt good. And then of course, seeing all my old friends and it was oddly comforting or reassuring to see people I haven't seen in two years and seeing that, Hey, we've all sustained uh, brain damage. We're all weaker, softer, <laughs> a little more tentative for, uh, from the isolation, the hardship, the grief, the worry that, you know, the constant sort of low level paranoia of COVID and the loss, you know, I mean, so many people have lost someone or lost several people or many people. Um, and it was weird going back to New York and sort of falling in love with it again. And then having hang out with all my survivor buddies who are still there and having them all be like, yeah, fucking New York is over. It's so done. You know, that the the compression of the last two years has really squeezed out so many um so many artists and uh poor folks, people of color, women, uh the people who always get the shit end of the stick, surprise, surprise, they got the shit end of the stick worse during COVID. And New York is just sort of uh CVS and Dunkin' Donuts and rich people. Um but I still managed to have a really great time. And uh spoiler alert, I managed to record zero new podcasts while I was there. I was just running around spending like 
uh, four hours on public transit every day and having three or four different lunches. I'm, I'm just, I'm all just puffy cheese and bread right now. I feel disgusting. Um, but I was just hanging out with my friends, uh, so much, so hard for so long that I didn't record a single fucking new thing, but got some good stuff, uh, coming up the, my, my mentor, my editor, my tour mentor, uh, David Blum, uh, who is now one of the, uh, one of the head, uh, I believe he's editor in chief of the original content at audible. Uh, he has submitted to, uh, to appear on the podcast with me. Um, and I'm finally, I'm also going to finally bite the bullet and sit down and do one with my mom just because we haven't caught up from like her trip to, uh, to Spain and all over Europe. And then, uh, and then my trip to New York. So this will give us, you know, that'll give us a chance to just sit down and just yammer for an hour and a half and catch up. Um, so today what we're going to do is, uh, we're going to do a swap cast, uh, with my friend Jonas Barnes, uh, from New York, who, one of the people I didn't see. Um, if I didn't see you while I was there, I'm so sorry. It was uh, too much, too many people there. And also there were people I had, I totally intended to spend a day with, uh, my friend Leon, I was planning on meeting up with and hanging out with, and then, uh, just got back last night and was like, Oh yeah, I, I never called him, never texted him, never emailed him. Whoops. <laughs> the um but yeah, uh we're going to do a uh we're going to do a swap cast. We're going to air uh the podcast I did with my friend Jonas Barnes uh from his podcast The Traumedy Hour uh where we talk about uh the good stuff, uh mental health, mental illness, addiction, sobriety and uh getting your fucking ass handed to you during the pandemic. I uh, I hope you dig it, and we will return to our uh, regularly regular scheduled programming next week. All right. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Traumedy Hour. I am your host for today, Jonas Barnes. Uh, just me today. Uh, usually, you know, it's me and Lauren Petrie, uh, but she is out and about doing her thing right now. Uh, I believe she just got back from Alaska doing a comedy festival up there, uh, which a couple of friends of our guests today um, have actually done the festival up there over the years. Um, but really excited to have uh, our guest here today. Um, as you know, with the Traumedy Hour, uh, we do talk about some hard stuff. We talk about hard stuff, deep stuff, which sounds like a porn, but it's not. Uh, we're talking about emotional things uh, today. And uh, the other thing about it is just to, as a disclaimer, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a licensed psychologist, not a licensed uh, psychiatrist, anything like that. That's not what this is about. What it's about is real people talking about real things that uh, are experiences that some of you may share. Um, and we like to take away the stigma of talking about these things, uh, you know, pulling out the silver linings of them, uh, making the jokes out of them where they are but just having a conversation about the things that society tells us not to talk about. So that's what we're doing here today. Um, my guest today is a friend of mine uh, who I actually met. I originally came to know him, uh, know who he was from the Unbookables. And anybody that's listening today, if you guys know what that is, that was Doug Stanhope's uh, crew of misfit toys, I guess is the best way to put it. 
going out on a comedy tour of some of the shittiest venues in the country. Uh, and it was an amazing thing. Um, and also, uh, I came to know him as an author uh, from a mutual friend of ours who told me about him and a uh, book signing that he was doing in New York. Uh, so uh, our guest today, um, I'll have, let him tell you a little bit more about himself, Mishka Shibali. What's up, Jonas? How you doing, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for doing the show today, man. Yeah, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm always psyched to talk about sad things. It's, you know, it's, it's part of life that I think everybody goes through. And I figured if anybody was going to be someone to talk about some sad shit, it would be you. <laughs> yeah. The, it's, you know, it's funny. I was talking to, uh, JT Habersat the other day and we were talking about, um, sad music and the how, people sort of always sort of nudge me or annoy me to try and, you know, oh, when are you going to write a song about running? And the answer is fucking never the, um, and JT and I were just sort of talking about how listening to sad music feels good. And that like, sometimes it feels good to be sad. And I can't, I don't know. I came up with a long, you know, sort of thought thing about, oh, you know, well, if you're if you're in emotional pain and you're a cutter, then people cut so that the physical pain releases the endorphins and then you actually get like a slight high from it. You know, the so maybe listening to like emotional torture porn um, in your headphones makes you feel so sad or in so much pain that then you get a little bit of a high out of it. I don't know. The... I can see, yeah i can see that i think that's something that a lot of people do i do this myself sometimes if i'm like if i'm in the trenches of some sadness and like some shit just happened i'll put on sad music i'll i'll look at pictures of people that have lost over the years to like get the crying started yeah. to just kind of purge that energy out you know and it's something that i had to come to realize about myself that i held in those emotions a lot so after I went through like therapy and stuff about a bunch of shit in my past, I started doing that exercise where if it was like something sad happened, instead of like swallowing that crying, I was just like, fuck it. It's a crying night tonight. Like, that's what's happening. I'm yeah, not going yeah. out to do anything. I'm just going to cry a bunch and get all this out. If I get can. some ice cream, pull the curtains down. It's like the <laughs> mis mistreat yourself. <laughs> exactly. It, oh, man. And that's sometimes you need those days, you know? It's um, that's that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't do as a form of self-care because we've been taught that it's weak, you know, especially as guys like it's, you know, it's society is such an asshole about that, where they they tell men, especially that it's like it's weak to cry and stuff like that. And fuck that. Like, it's not weak at all. I think it's actually strong to sit there and just get the poison out. It's funny, too, because I think like when when I used to have hangups about crying, I approached it from the sort of the most like meathead man perspective ever of like, Oh, you don't want to let chicks see you cry, you know, the, and then I've had like numerous girlfriends over the, over the years tell me about, you know, like their, you know, that their sex fantasies were me like, like holding one of my friends with our shirts off while we wept together or something like that. And I was like, Holy fuck. That's a wild one. That's, yeah, should, that, that is a I should wild have been one. crying a lot more with my shirt off, I guess. Uh, right. You can't be crying with a shirt on. Then it's not a turn on. Then it's just like, now I'm dry. Like, this isn't working. You got to have your shirts off. The Maybe it's too many years of like watching cops, but I always thought that my finest moment would become like, you know, crying in the middle of the street with my shirt off. 
that feels like a very like uh, a very uh, Shawshank Redemption thing, just in the rain, just crying and weeping. The very specific Pornhub category. Very, very specific. Somebody has searched it too. I'm sure they have. The old Shawshank um, Redemption. It, like porn titles are so weird, like that too. Just like yes. you watch. I, this oh, movie. I guarantee that exists already. <laughs> it has to. It has to. You love this movie from Martin Scorsese. Here's the same movie, but with dicks. Like it's just weird. Yeah. Um, so for anybody that doesn't know who you are, uh, like my initial, like I said, in the intro, my initial introduction to who you were was through the unbookables. Um, but then a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jackie Furback actually, um, Jackie, had, Jackie, yeah, Rolls. yeah. She's fucking awesome. One of my best friends, love her to death. She actually, uh, introduced me to you as an author because she was going to a book signing that you were doing. And she was like, Hey, you should come check this out. I really feel like you dig what he does. And then I, you know, I have a computer in my hand at all times. So I was like, all right, who the fuck is this guy? So I picked it up and, you know, looked you up and I was like, I'm definitely into this and started reading some blurbs and stuff. And that's where, uh, that's where I figured out who you were as an author. So, uh, yeah, tell people a little bit about yourself, what you do, because you're not just an author. The I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I do sort of everything and anything to try and stay out of a regular job. Like, what uh, what do you need me to do, Jonas? I'll I'm free this evening. You know, the, <laughs> I um, I write. I have a actually I have a new collection out of my seven best selling Kindle singles that I published through Amazon. Um, that's available now through Amazon and, and signed copies. I'm selling through my website and stuff. The I make records. The I will hopefully have some new stuff coming out next uh, Bandcamp Friday. Um, and I think I put out like four records in the pandemic so far. And um, I also tour doing a combination. It's it's like a stand up tragedy. I don't know. I play a bunch of songs and uh, talk about my hurt feelings in between them. I teach. Uh, I teach writing at Yale every summer. Um, that's such a fucking weird bit of resume candy. I didn't um, know that. I didn't know that about you at all. That's I know crazy. It's, it's it's weird, right? The <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have very con- conflicted feelings about that. There's no way to say the name Yale without sounding like you're a douchebag. But the I am incredibly proud of it. I've been doing it for whatever five or six years now. The um, but it's just, it's one of those things when you mention it, it feels like bragging or whatever. Fuck sure. I get it. The, yeah. It's a weird thing. I don't know. Um, what else I have? I own one cat and one dog and I live in the sun bleached wasteland of, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and I don't know. That's, that's all I got, man. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, like, again, you're one of those people that's multi-talented. You have multimedia things going on. You're, you know you are an accomplished author and a musician and a comedian and uh just it, you got a lot of stuff going on and you originally when you um a while back you lived in new york right yeah I, um new york city is actually it's weird i was thinking about this the other day as to like sort of where i'm from the because i don't there's not really any place that i've lived where i would claim to be from but i i have spent the you know the the longest part of my life living in new york city um moved there when i was 21 and left when i was 38 39 i was there for 18 years oh damn okay yeah you were there a while yes uh, i, I think that's when i when i had originally figured out who you were um i think you were living in new york at that time um no i was um i was bouncing around i left just before the book came out i had a place in greenpoint where i was paying like 200 bucks a month 
and then the landlord sold the building and I'd lived there for nine years and the landlord, uh, the new landlord was like, well, you got 30 days. And I was like, I fucking don't buddy. Like I know, <laughs> I know the law, right. So I fought, you know, I fought for as long as I could. And then, and then I left in defeat as we all will eventually. You know, it's funny that you said a $200 a month in Greenpoint, like you lived in fucking Greenpoint, $200 a month in Greenpoint is not even a full bed. Like it's actually just the corner of the bed. You have to sleep where the animals usually sleep. That's it's well, 200 bucks couple. for the wet spot. Right. Exactly. It's Greenpoint is one of the most expensive neighborhoods in New York now, which is insane to me. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I was living there, I'd been in the same apartment for whatever, um, shit. I, yeah. I was in the same apartment for nine years and then they never raised the rent. So it was whatever 1350. Yeah. Something like that for a two bedroom apartment when we moved in. And then I went through like a series of roommates and every time a roommate moved out, I would just sort of be like, Oh, what are people charging in the neighborhood until finally I was charging whatever a grand or something for the other, um, the other room. That and makes sense. It was such a sweet deal, man. Oh, oh yeah. It. New York is weird like that because with New York, sometimes you'll get those things where you get an illegal dwelling an illegal apartment where it's just like, no, I just, I live in a basement with no windows that happens to be really moist all the time, but I only pay 300 a month. So it's awesome. <laughs> it's very weird like that. That's not, that's like a very New York thing. And I feel like it's probably an LA thing too. They probably have something like that in LA, but like, you're not going to the middle of the country and living in some windowless basement. That's illegal. Like just to survive. Like that's just totally not a thing that's outside of those outside of those circles. Dude, I last summer I found like a really nice dog house that somebody was throwing away. So I, you know, and it was in like the back alley. So I grabbed it and like put it in my yard for my dog. And my dog looked at it and was like, no, fuck no. Are you crazy? No. <laughs> and the so it was in my backyard for like six weeks. And then I was like, I gotta fucking get rid of this thing. And they're like, from the alley you came and to the alley you shall return. So I stuck it back out in the alley and then I like put it out in the alley and closed the gate. I heard <laughs> I wasn't even done walking away and a homeless dude was like, score. <laughs> nice. And I came, I was like out there the next morning throwing the trash away and he was sleeping in the doghouse. And I was like, this is America. That is, that is about as America in a nutshell as possible. That's insanity. Yeah. But also, you know what though? That was probably the best day of that dude's life for a while. Like, you know, he's just like, I, I got a fucking every a roof over it. my head. It's just a <laughs> tiny roof. <laughs> It's the the next wave of the tiny house movement. Right. That actually is what you would get for $300 a month in Greenpoint is that doghouse. That's actually what you would get. It was a nice doghouse, dude. It was, <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, you know, it's really funny. This actually is a good transition into what we we're going to talk about today, because one of the things that um, reminded me that I wanted to do this episode is like, is you're an animal person. You have a cat, you have a dog. But one of them, the things that reminded me of this is uh the post that you made about your what how did you refer to your cat uh how did you refer to her she she was a i think i called her like a mostly dead trash princess or something like that yeah yeah i mean i had a million i mean everybody when you when you get an animal the way that you know that you're losing touch with reality from loving that animal too much is when you start throwing 40 different nicknames at them, you know? Sure. And so, you know, she was my little, you know, street urchin chimney sweep The yeah, she was, she was disgusting. She was really, 
I, it's like she disappeared every night and would go and sleep in crawl into some corpse's butthole to sleep <laughs> and then come back the next morning. I was like, what the fuck happened to you? She's like, but, what's up, dad? I stink more today. How you doing? Yeah. Her name was Manu. And, you know, at the end of her life, I, I guess she had um, like tooth rot bad enough that she stopped cleaning herself. That's what it was. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. And um, man, when a cat doesn't clean themselves, I mean, we, th- we mock cats for the amount of time they spend cleaning themselves, but I'll tell you what you spend 10 minutes with a cat that is for like, is no longer able, able to clean itself. And you will be so grateful that other cats clean themselves so much. Oh, it's insane. I've had cats my whole life. I've had like probably as long as I can remember, I've had cats. And I remember I used to give them shit too, like like my friends and stuff. I would joke about how much they would clean themselves and stuff like that. But I did have one cat that um, she was just old as fuck. Like she she was one of those cats that we were surprised that she got as old as she did until we realized that she was like that shitty grandparent that lives to like 105 just because they're a cunt. You know what I mean? Just oh, like they just ra- st- racism they- is the secret to longevity. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the worst grandparent. They're like, fuck you. I'm making it to 110 and you're going to hate every second of it. The, so this Strom Thurmond gene big time. So this cat was very similar. She was in like her name was PC and it stood for pussycat because she looked like the cat from Pepe Le Pew that Pepe Le Pew was constantly trying to sexually assault. Yes. Like that. That's what she looked like. So she lived to be 21 and she was the last year. I would say the last two years of her life. She was just bitchy and miserable and she got mangy and like she got just gross because you know she was old and sore and she was like listen i'm gonna die soon so i'm not gonna clean anything so she just she did that and it was just like oh this is a huge difference between cats that clean themselves all the time you smell like actual garbage and you're an indoor cat what have you been doing is it like cat oil or something like are do they make the stink themselves i mean nobody please no one write in and answer this but the it's just the yeah i don't i I wonder but i don't want to know I don't, it's gotta be, I think it's gotta be the oil and the dander that cats do. Cause like, that's first off when somebody told me what dander was, I was like, Oh cool. So that's why I have allergy problems. Cause I'm just breathing in dead skin all day. That's why I didn't, (laughs) I didn't need that fucking knowledge. Thank you. Veterinarian friend of mine. (laughs) They're like, yeah, that's why you're breathing weird. It's just skin. Yeah. Just breathing in a cloud of mortality. Yep. Just nothing that just full on epidermis, just right into the face. Um, but yeah, that's what happened with her too. Like at the end of the, at the end of her life, she was just like, I'm just not going to clean anymore. And you're going to have to deal with my smelly ass until I'm done. And funny enough, those last two years or so though, man, we love that cat more than, more than we ever had, you know, it was like one of those situations. And that was kind of a thing, you know, with yours, like when you made that post and you talked about losing her, it, it brought up feelings that I've had before about people but also about animals um the cat that i had before the one i have now he was the one that made the move to new york with me you know uh me and lauren you know the co-host here uh we me and her moved to new york together um we drove a moving truck for the whole time which is probably why we broke up we were like in the moving truck with each (laughs) other for 49 hours so (laughs) we uh we moved here with the cat and he was dope. He was so cool. Like he was, he was a great cat. He was just the most chill thing in the world. But I remember 
when he died because I'd come home from work and he was just chilling. Like he wasn't, you know, he was just doing his cat thing. And I went to go pick him up like I usually would when I get home from work. And as soon as I touched the underside of him, he let out a meow that he had never let out before. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, is this the time? Like, you know, what's going on? And I tried to like, you know, I know quite a bit about animals just from, you know, experiences that I've had throughout my life. So I was like kind of trying to do the thing where I was checking with him and seeing like, you know, what hurt and stuff like that. And it was pretty quickly I realized that like something was bad, bad. And Lauren hadn't been living with me at the time. She'd been living in a, I was living in New Jersey in the place that we had gotten when we moved here. She was living in New York at the time. But I texted her and I was like, you need to come out to New Jersey because I think, I think it's the end. Like, you know, you got to come out here. Um, So she did. And we took him to the vet. And sure enough, it was like heart failure or something like that. It just, he had apparently had it for most of his life. But that's a thing with cats apparently is that when they have heart failure, it just all of a sudden like goes from zero to a thousand, you know? Yeah. So we had to put him to sleep and like, I remember this actually, dude. Dude, I've lost animals before, but fuck like that. That was probably the hardest experience that I've ever had when it came to an animal in my life and like coming, you know, to the end of their life, like just soul ripping, absolute fucking sadness. And it fucked me up for a while. Like that was something that kind of like the way your post was talking about. It just it was so hard to get over it, you know? Like, just because we had such a close relationship and it was just like, fuck, I haven't felt like this about a person in years. And, you know, I'm this it's, way about this cat. For for people who like who don't get cats, who aren't into cats, it's hard to explain it to them. You know, the because the you know, if everybody loves dogs and, you know, if if you're a dog person, you're like, you know, well, my dog can, can go hiking with me and we go swimming together. And my dog can do tricks and play catch and stuff like that. And, you know, a cat, the, well, a cat can't do anything. And that's, that's not true. Cats can do one thing and they can do one thing only, which is to love you unconditionally. And they really do fuck them for that because it's so, <laughs> it's so hard. The, you know, when you, um, when you were talking about your, you know, your cat having heart issues, I like my heart dropped because my, the, my soft little pumpkin head here, the, um, my cat Elsie has, uh, touched the old brain damage and maybe other things. I'm not sure the, um, but when she, she loves laying in the sun and she loves, um, you know, sort of just soaking up the sun, but she'll lay there until she starts panting. And oh Yeah. It's not, cats should not pant. That's a sign that something, you know, horrible is about to happen. Yeah, it means they're overheating like crazy. Yeah. And the, and she, she does that on a regular basis. She seems to overheat very quickly and very easily. The, and she doesn't seem to have the sense to like get out of the sun to, you know, to stop overheating. And uh, so like, that's, that's the part of her brain that's missing. It's just like. (laughs) You're, you're getting real warm. You should just, you should stay in this spot and just get warmer. Like this is, I mean, it, it would make sense that I have a cat like that. Cause that's sort of how I am in relationships where I'm like, this is terrible. You should get her name tattooed on you. <laughs> <laughs> but God, you the, and me both, sir. 
living in living in Phoenix with a cat who doesn't know when to get out of the fucking heat. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> just the yeah, living in the shadow of death here. Yeah, of course, of course, you had to get the cat that would do that in that location. Of all people, you had to do that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's weird because when it comes to animals, like you get you have a relationship with the animals, and like you said about dogs, I love dogs. I don't necessarily like living with dogs because their energy doesn't match me at all. And like, yeah. even the most chill dog is way too fucking excited for me. Just excited about life and just being existing. I'm like, oh, you have no fucking problems in your life. You know, nothing dog. I, I, yeah, no dogs are like fucking hippies. And I'm like, just shut up, go fucking play hacky sack somewhere. <laughs> the, I, so I have a dog now too. And I did not want a dog, you know, the, um, I love dogs. I always grew up with dogs. I, I fetishize dogs. Like the way some young girls have like, uh, the horse thing. I had, sure. a, I had the poster of dogs that had every single different dog breed. And I knew all of them by sight and like, you know, it could, uh, you know, like walking down the street, Oh, it's a Boston terrier. That's a, you know, just little fucking dog nerd. And, um, and then I it wound up with this puppy last year, my girlfriend at the time, you know, really wanted a dog. And I was like, Oh, this will save the relationship. And then, uh, and oh, that's hey, a fun, that's a fun game. And then six weeks later, I have a dog and uh and no girlfriend and the i honestly i went through like kind of a weird dark patch of my dog like i don't know a month ago a couple months ago where it was just it was too much i just couldn't deal with it and the and i thought about giving her away and i thought about finding somebody else who who wanted a dog who wanted that sort of constant energy constant attention sure. and the and i was like it's not a mean thing. Cause I would find a great home for her. Like it would be easy to find a home for her. And the, and I just, I, I felt like uh, having, you know, a fucking Casey Anthony moment or something where I was like <laughs> thinking about drowning. I just felt, you know, I feel so guilty for ever having that thought. Like I woke up this morning in a fucking horrible mood and my dog was like another beautiful day. I was like, fucking go, go play in the <laughs> highway, you know, the, yeah, but then right. I went, then I went for a hike with her and she was just like, you know, look, a bug. <laughs> right. Just the, so excited about the tiniest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized, you know, the um, the reason that I hate and resent my dog is because she does her best to drag me out of those dark moods. And I need that. And sure. Uh, if the price for that is having a, an animal that I uh, resent, then so be it. You know, that's like, it's an interesting thing to talk about that too, because first off, the thing that you said about potentially rehoming, you know, your dog, I, I want to point this out because I'm very much an animal advocate. I fucking love animals. Um, I always have. But if anybody ever is in a position where they don't feel like they can care for their animal the way that the animal should be cared for, they should never, ever, ever feel guilty about rehoming an animal. Because that's what's going to be best for the animal in a case like that. Now, with your situation, it sounds like obviously it was a little bit more than just it wasn't just like I can't take care of this dog. I have to get rid of her. It wasn't like that. It, you know, yours was more complicated. But there are some times where people they just don't they can't take care of an animal the way that it should be taken care of. And in situations like that, fuck, by all means, you know, rehome the animal to somebody that can use an animal in their life, you know, like if do that. If you find a new home, if you find a good home for your, for your dog or your cat or what, or your hamster or whatever, the, um, <laughs> rehoming a hamster, the, uh, you know what, that, that probably the animal, does happen. 
the animal's not going to miss you. The animal's going to be fine. The animal's going to go on with the rest of their life as long as like they, it's a good home and they're happy and there's other, and there's people or animals or, you know, there's somebody there to, to care for them. They're going to be okay. It's just us. We are going to feel sad that we like uh, turned our backs on them or whatever. The But animals just, they go on with their lives. You know, the, I, um, I put a picture of a horse with no eye on the um on the back of a record and people were like oh my god that's so fucked up and i was like it looks really fucked up and it looks really sad but that horse was fine and that's one right. of the things about animal that's why animals are superior to human beings like if they lose a limb or they lose an eye or whatever they don't they don't fucking they don't grieve it they're just like okay this is what i'm working with now i, I have to turn my head to be able to see over there and they just go on with their lives you know, yep. the, we, we write fucking albums about it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that's so true too, because anim, like comparing animals to humans, like a human, you can fuck up their whole day with a hangnail. But I saw a video of a cat that did not have two front legs. It only had two bat, back legs. Oh, now, yeah. It was, it was terrifying. However, that cat, <laughs> <laughs> that cat was, that cat was fucking chilling. He was running around that house on just his back legs, freaking everybody out. It was amazing. And that cat didn't have a care in the fucking world. It was just like, it was just like, this is my life now. Man, I always feel those are the most effective anti-drug messages. You know, when people are, when they did all the like dare pro shit and it was like, you know, a drug addict, you know, uh, sprinting away from the cops on the street or like stealing shit or whatever. I was like, who cares? But if, if you show me a creepy cat that just walks on its hind legs, yeah, that will, that will prevent me from like eating mushrooms for a long time. Oh God. Oh man, if I if I saw that when I was like still doing drugs and I was on acid or something, that would fuck my life up for a month. I wouldn't yeah. be able to sleep. It would just be like, no, there's a there's a back legs only cat that just runs around <laughs> in my fucking brain whenever I close my eyes. McGruff the the crime dog dog uh, fucking uh, Limpy the cat is coming for you, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's my mom is a my mom is a big animal lover too. She has a whole house full of broken animals. And and I do say that very literally. Every one of her animals has something fucked up about it. And that's because that's what she does. She just brings in the ones that are fucked up. And she's like, all right, well, you have a home now. Yep. And she's awesome like that. My mom is salt of the earth. She's amazing. But one of her cats, uh, the literal name is Tiny Cat. Because Tiny Cat, this is such a fucked up story. My sister was driving behind this fucking piece of shit redneck. And he threw the kitten out of the side of the car. It was a truck. So he throws this kitten out of the side of the truck. My sister loses her shit, freaks out. They pull over. This cat's all fucked up. And they, instead of taking it to the vet, they immediately took it to my mom. And they were like, because it was really close to my mom's house. So my mom was like, this cat might not make it overnight. You know, we got to take it to the vet and see what's going on. And um, long story short, that cat is still alive. Still lives with my mom. This was years ago. This is, I want to say Tiny Cat's probably eight or nine years old at least now. But the reason that her name is Tiny Cat is because the two things that got fucked up when she got thrown out of that car is that it broke her growth plates. So she didn't grow any bigger than she was at that time. Uh But her tail kept growing like it was an adult cat. So she has like a squirrel body now. So she's like this little tiny cat with a long fucking bushy tail. 
Um, and also when she got thrown out of the car, it caused some brain damage too. So she's got like, she slopes to the side a little bit. She's got like kind of a little stroke face going on. Um, if you don't send me a picture of this cat, once we stop, once we wrap up this episode, <laughs> I, I hereby revoke my podcast permissions. That, right. This sounds amazing as I, I would need a little uh, Pokemon like that in my life. Oh, she's incredible. And I absolutely will send, uh, send you a picture of her. Now, this is the thing that's cool about her that we whenever I go home to visit my parents, uh, we have like kind of an ongoing joke where it's like tiny cat doesn't know how to cat today. So she'll just like she'll fucking run around the house. She'll run into shit. She'll like hiss at stuff that's not there. And she'll just be like, she's just having a having a non cat day. Like she's just, you know, the brain soup is bad. But then when she does turn it on and she goes into full cat mode, sweetest cat in the world, she'll cuddle up with you. She'll purr. She'll chase shit. She'll do everything like that. And then the switch will flip again and it'll be like, nope, she's she's barking. She's barking and she's a cat. Like we just, you know what? We gotta yeah. let Tiny Cat do her shit right now. <laughs> I think just I think let her do. All, it. I think we all have days like that, man. We all do. We all have the bad brain soup days. Um, one of the things that you mentioned about, you know, the thing with your dog, where you were just reaching a point where you couldn't, like, just couldn't deal with it anymore. This is something you and I had talked about very briefly, and it's something I wanted to bring up on the uh, on the show here. The pandemic over the last year, not even just over the last year, but over the last, you know, two years or however long this fucking nightmare has been happening. Um, you were having a hard time dealing with it, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> dive into ever. this. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah, no, I, ha- I really had a fucking miserable time. I mean, it's funny because the. In the early days of the pandemic, I made this post, you know, where everybody was sort of collectively like, what the fuck's going on? You know, the it's it's been long enough now that I think that we've sort of accustomed to living in the future or whatever or living in no future or whatever this is now. The um, but in those, you know, those early days, I was like the. I was getting up to crack of dawn and like running and, you know, sort of preparing. I, I had like gotten this RV that I was like going to trick it out in case we had to like fucking go into hiding or something like that. And like, I remember the RV. Uh, yeah. You know, doing just doing everything I could to like, you know, protect my, you know, my mom, my family, my loved ones, the, and I was like, I was up for it. You know, I was like the, you know, this is our, this is our great war. You know, the, this is the greatest challenge that we'll see in our lives and um and i'm ready you know and i'm just i'm just gonna fucking do what needs to be done and the and i was sort of mostly doing it the and then um and then i and then i lost it yeah the and then i just the and it's funny because the there you know there are so many sort of parallels to uh you know zombie movies and stuff like that where the you know, there's the there's a staple of every zombie movie is the person who gets bit and then conceals it, right? The sure. person. Uh, no, it's just a cough. The I I just have allergies or whatever, and then everybody gets fucking COVID, um, right? And uh, the it's all you know. So it hasn't just been like that with COVID, but it's also been like with like that with the sort of uh, the COVID insanity. You know, the where. Um, you know, somebody be fine one day and then the next day they're, they're not, you know, mm-hmm. the, and 
I'm in therapy now and I'm trying to, I'm learning a lot about what makes me tick. And that has been a fucking shit show. Um, I wouldn't wish that on Henry Kissinger, but um, <laughs> it's tricky because the, you know, it's like when I was writing about this, you know, the, when a, um, you know, an old man, 76 gutter alcoholic you know he's lived on the street his whole life you know he gets pushed falls and hits his head and dies you know because of um you know it's high blood pressure and sort of like you know poor heart disease and poor health and all that stuff the well did he die because he was old or did he die because um, he had these pre-existing health conditions or did he die because um, because he was pushed, you know, the so when I go back and look the, you know, when I go back and look at sort of my great unraveling, like, was that, was it something that, was it something that had happened when I was a kid or a bunch of things that had happened when I was a kid that I just sort of stored up and not dealt with? Um, was it pandemic insanity that finally came for me or was it, you know, I had something traumatic happen in my life in uh, November of 2020. Um, was it just that, you know, the, and there is no, there is no postmortem for your insanity or for trauma or whatever. You can't, you never get to go in it. There's no 23 in me where you're like, Oh, it was, you know, it was 44%, you know, my dad not loving me and 15%, you know, the, um, you know, alcoholism and the, there is no, um, so you just sort of have to live with that ambiguity and, and, and say, well, I guess it was everything, you know, the, and, uh, yeah, it just got to be too much. The and I was definitely the I don't know, I mean maybe the right analogy is that, you know, you're like you're riding a horse, right? And the when you're riding a horse, the things could be going well where you feel like you're sort of in control and everything's working the way that's supposed to. Or if you sort of get out of the rhythm with the horse as to the way your, your butt's falling into the saddle, then you're sort sure. of like bouncing all over the place and you don't feel like. And then there's like a third option, which is, you know, sort of like the Mel Brooks option where you like the, the saddle comes loose and flips and then you're under the horse. Right. So, you oh, like, yeah you're still moving, right? You're still technically on the horse or whatever the, but it's fucking terrifying, you it's know, beat the and shit out of you the whole yes, time. And, the, yeah. and if, and if you let go, you'll you get fucking trampled to death, you know? The, yeah. So there's definitely like my life has ups and downs the um, like any life and the, um, but then uh in 2021, that was when I like slipped under the horse, you know? Sure. It went outside of the normal range of good times, bad times. And then, uh, yeah, it's lo lost my damn mind. So the, the thing I wanted to mention about this, especially because I think, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially just with what the way the world has been over the last two years. And I think everybody 
had their own version of a hard time during the pandemic at a certain point. And there was like that breaking point that I think a lot of people had. Um, and my question is like, so you said that you're in therapy now, was that something that happened? Do you think because of you hitting that breaking point during the pandemic or was that something that happened before the therapy? The, well, I mean, I'm in therapy because of, uh, because of how the last couple of years have gone. Okay. Uh, I went to therapy for a long time when I was in New York and I didn't really feel like I needed it because the, you know, because I had quit drinking on my own because compared to most of my friends at fucking Mars bar or wherever the, right. my upbringing was a piece of cake, you know, the, um, you know, I hadn't been like fucking locked in the basement and like serially, you know, serially raped or molested or abused or, you know, the, the physically kicked, you know, my parents kicked the shit out of me or grew up in group homes or, you know what I mean? There, there are some real fucking horror shows in New York. The, oh, yeah. I mean, there, there are everywhere. The But um, but New, New York, York is re- New York is a special kind of flavor of that. Yes. The And that was really where I sort of came to awareness about how largely like privileged my childhood was the um so i you know i did that thing that you shouldn't do you know the was i compared my situation to the you know the situation of other people and you know to say well i i shouldn't you know take up these whatever healthcare resources or whatever they should go to somebody else you know because i'm i'm mostly okay the right um and I, I did have a therapist for a while, like a long time in New York. Great guy who was actually who was super helpful, but also he was a dude, and the and he was from New York, and the I, I think he grew up in Stuyvesant Town, and you know so he there was a lot of stuff that he and I really like saw eye to eye on of just sort of like I don't know dealing with shit on the street the sure. um, that you know maybe somebody from um, I don't know, the fucking Ohio suburbs or whatever might not get that. Like whenever you go out, anything might happen, you know, and you right. sort of have to be ready to fucking deal with stuff. And the, but also he was, um, he was a guy, he was a straight guy. He was a white guy. The, and we, um, one of the frustrating things about friendships with men or relationships with men is that the um we always have to fuck it always turns into a dick measuring competition it always it always has we have to undermine each other of you know the oh i love you man i love you too no homo right somebody always Uh, fucking does that and every time just just be a fucking man and tell another man that you love him period line break end of chapter end of story right that's it yeah it's just like just be a fucking real man and tell people you love them that's yeah you know anytime and, uh, anytime one of my friends says no homo it's just like, i want to be just be like i will kiss you on the fucking mouth just stop <laughs> like just don't say that stupid shit dude the last person who said that to me um was a trans man who was um buying a trailer from me and he didn't want me to know that he had transitioned from female to male. So yeah. he sort of affected this kind of homophobic thing. 
and like he, he said you know no you know i was like helping him with the trailer or whatever and he was like oh you know i really you know i love you so much for doing this you know no homo and i was like and i just like winced and i was like uh and then found out later that you know he he told me and i was like oh that's why you did that sure don't do that that, th- <laughs> that throws that throws another wrinkle into it too for yeah, sure yeah you know, it's funny you said that about men too, because I'm I don't have very many guy friends for that very specific reason. It just that whole always turns into a dick judging contest. It's just like I fucking I don't have time for that anymore. I just yeah. I don't. I absolutely yeah. don't. And you know, one of the things that I found was that it really held me back in therapy was that, you know, in that I was the I had to be constantly performing for him, right? So I'm like cracking jokes and like, you know, like um, oh, and then she says this, you know what I mean? You know, like, oh what? God, the funny thing about, yeah, it's like, oh God, I just hate myself for, you know, the, um, <laughs> but I, I have a female therapist now and she's I had another, uh, female therapist who was like significantly younger than I was. And I, I couldn't do it. It didn't work like getting life advice from somebody who's 26. I was like, yeah, sure. Nah, nah. <laughs> it's like, you're giving me advice from a book. That's what yeah, you're doing. <laughs> yeah, go, go suffer some more. The, right. And, um, got to live through some shit. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's my own bias, but whatever. The, I, I've totally understandable. I've also heard tons of brilliant shit out of people who are 26 25 younger so fucking oh yeah absolutely but the therapist i have now is a woman she's probably a couple years older than i am the um and she's been incredibly helpful i mean i think it's part of where i was when i went in there um the like i was ready to i was ready to fucking try anything jonas i would have you know i i went to a psychic you know, I was, oh, I, w- wow. I was, I was in so, and I don't believe in that shit at all. I think I know, I, I, think believe, I know you well, I know you well enough to know that that was, that was a hail Mary that you fucking threw. Yes, ab- absolutely. And, and I, I, I really, you know, I would have done anything the, um, but, you know, going to my therapist in that state of being like, I am, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to fucking try anything to change. You know, the, that was it meant I was in a good situation to affect meaningful change and lots of change and lots of change quickly. The, when you go to your therapist and you start crying in the parking lot before you go in, that's a good sign that you're like the, you're ready. That it's time that it's time to, it's time to make those changes, which is really funny. That kind of transitions into another part of the conversation that I was going to have with you, but also like the therapy thing. So I've gone through therapy too. And I went, the pandemic actually, helped me when it came to therapy because I was kind of in a similar situation to you. Like, here's the thing with me. I I'm a comic. I perform, you know, comedy all over New York, but I don't like the networking aspect of it in the sense that I fucking hate going out to a comedy club and having to schmooze with people and kiss ass and act like I have this relationship with these people that I don't fucking have. Like I just, it's all manufactured bullshit that I don't like. So I'll go and I'll hang with the people that I'm actually friends with and I'll be cordial and say hi to the people that I don't know. But like, I'm not going to sit there and pick their brain about what fucking show that they book and all this other bullshit. I don't do that. So I kind of like being at home. I like being among my things and my cat and my, you know, my stuff that I'm working on. Like, I like that. 
But then when the pandemic kind of forced me to do that, I was like, oh, fuck you. Now I want to go do everything that you said that I can't do. And I'm stuck in this fucking house. And then it was also like, I'm also stuck in my brain, which was not a good place to be. Yeah, it was not. It was not a good place to be alone in my own head. And that's where therapy started to become. I'd gone to therapy also before and I had stopped for various different reasons. But this was where my brain kicked in and it was like, oh, you're not done yet. Like you for sure need to still go back and deal with some shit. And I remember the specific time that it was like really time for me to do that. And it was when uh, a family member of mine died very suddenly. It was my cousin. And he was a guy that I grew up with. Like me and him were partners in crime. Like I fucking love this dude. He was like a brother to me, like an older brother to me that I never had. Blah, 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 blah. Fucking drank himself to death. And he died literally in the line at the grocery store with a handle of vodka in his fucking hand that he was buying to take home to drink more of <sighs> fucking destroyed me. I was at work. Um, I just started going back to work from like pandemic stuff being lifted. I was like, all right, I'm back to, you know, being able to be part of the, you know, the world again and blah, blah, blah. And I get this phone call that it happened. And that was, that was the time that grief came in where I realized very quickly how I was going to have to deal with that. So I called my boss and I was like, Hey, I got to go. I just found out that a family member died. Like, you know, I'm sorry, I got to go. And she was like, fucking, yeah, of course go home. As soon as I hung up that phone, I collapsed in a pile of tears in the middle of a fucking whole foods. Like it was just like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Like there, he cares a lot about avocados. Like, no, I was just, <laughs> that's fucking, white grief right there, oh, bro. God, dude. <laughs> it was the whitest crying in the world. Um, just in the middle of a produce section, just weeping. And they're like, I don't know how to approach this person. What is he crying about? <laughs> they're like, but sir, those are organic. You're okay. <laughs> those strawberries are on sale. That's not the real price. Um, <laughs> yeah. Plenty of reasons to weep in Whole Foods. Right. So I'm just sitting here just fucking crying. And the thing is, is that the longer I cried, the less of a fuck I gave about anybody around me. Yeah. Because I had to get it out. Like I, it just, it was so sudden and it was so like, I just had to get it out. So I got it out. I go home. I'm thinking that I'm okay. Right. I'm thinking like, all right, I got that grief out. I got that crying out. Fucking nope. I didn't sleep for two days. Like I just could not deal with it. I couldn't like, I legitimately couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And I got on the phone with my therapist. I was like, I think I got to come back. Cause I, I got some thoughts going through my head that are not fucking good. Like yeah. they're not good. And I got it. I got to come back. So they, they brought me back in and like, you know, we, we dug through a lot of the stuff, but one of the things that I wanted to mention about this and what it comes back to is that one thing you and I have in common is recovery. Yep. And I think also we have in common that we approach it in a non-traditional way, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I'll say my piece on it. I'm not against AA. I'm not against meetings. I'm not against any of that stuff. As far as like, if it works for people, by all means do it. Um, but I definitely don't think that it's the only way to achieve recovery. Um, and I think everybody kind of has to go their own route of doing it and doing what works for them and what keeps the bottle out of their hand, you know, or whatever happens to be their vice of choice. Um, basically doing whatever it takes to not go back into that place. And yeah. 
um, therapy was one of those things that did help me with it. Um, and early on in my recovery, I did do meetings. I did go to AA and it just turned out that it was at a certain point, it was no longer helpful to me. So, you know, I developed my own thing, uh, that I used to deal with it, but man, the therapy for sure helped. Cause there was a couple of times where I was like, ah, oh, man, I still have my Coke dealer's number in my phone. I still do. And you know why I do? Cause that fucking dude would text me every like four <laughs> or five months. I would get a fucking text from him that would be like, Hey dude, new number. And I would tell him like, dude, I've been sober for like three years. Like I'm not coming back. And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. If you know anybody else that's looking though, it's like you fucking customer service is a 10, but come on. Like, it's like, uh, it's like herpes, man. That you're like, all right, I got this behind me. And then you're like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, still here. Still yep. here. <laughs> I'm a little stressed, a little stressed. Yeah. I'm feeling a flare up. Yep. Um, so yeah, so it was like, I was getting those thoughts where I was like, Oh, I could fucking, I could totally drink away this pain. And then it was just like, then I had to remember, Nope, that leads to more pain. That leads to more shittier things. Go to the therapist. Don't go to the bottle, you know? And it went on that. Um, but I'm going to be five years completely clean, uh, come June, June 10th. So that's I stuck awesome. to it at least. Congrats, man. The, I mean, that's the thing, you know, the, it's it's tricky i mean yeah newsflash sobriety is tricky it's tricky because <laughs> if you make it by the skin of your teeth or if you just fucking sail through it you still made it right right uh, but going forward if you're just making it by the skin of your teeth you gotta you gotta tweak something because the you know getting the next five years can will still be challenging even if you sailed through the first five but if you went through the first five like by you know just like hanging on by a fingernail then you you gotta like tweak um your program the my um my relationship with aa is like the opposite of my relationship with the band radiohead where <laughs> the um radiohead i think is actually a fine band they're okay i it doesn't you know doesn't kill me the uh their fans are the fucking worst that you uh, <laughs> put me in a room with it's uh several men in their late 20s who want to talk to me about radiohead i'll jump out the fucking window the, <laughs> that is the opposite of how i feel about people in aa right um, uh i feel like there's got to be a tag there about kid aa Ugh, fuck oh me. god <laughs> yeah terrible the yeah. AA, AA computer the um <laughs> <laughs> can't oh that's what so you can never you can never turn the comics brain off i know never turn it off disgusting it's It's always there it's always there and um you know which is to say that if you're if you're going to aa and it's working for you it's it's helping you i absolutely i support you 100 percent the i think the system itself is deeply flawed i think there's lots of big problems systemic problems with it i need i think it needs to evolve and transform the um, one of the things I never had, people would always be like, well, what's the alternative? And I never had an alternative to offer them because I never went to meetings and never did that. But I spoke recently, the, um, the satanic temple, which is an atheist organization. They're not actually literal Satanists, but that would, as matter. an aside real quick, fucking love the satanic temple. Yeah. The, Lucian um, Greaves is dope. I've done interviews with him. He's oh, cool. fucking great. Cool. Yeah. The, um, but I did, I, I did a meeting of the sober faction of the satanic temple and that was, a um, and there were a lot of, uh, a lot of gay and lesbian folks there, a lot of people there, a, a lot of trans folks, the, a lot of people who are, 
outside of the norm of society, which are my, and those are my people. And yeah. the, and I, I totally felt like, Oh, 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 this is what it would have looked like had I found my tribe, you know, the, and I think sure. there, um, there are seven traditions, you know, make a lot of sense. The, um, so if, if people are looking for a support group for, you know, quitting drinking or staying sober, the, I think that's a good place to look the, um, I have not stayed continuously uh, clean and sober for 13 years. I think it's, I think I'm coming up on 13. The um, I I've been an outspoken proponent of, um, you know, the restorative powers of uh, mushrooms and, uh, and DMT and other hallucinogenics and stuff like that. The DMT was a wild fucking ride. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That was a, I um I hate that that's associated with with Joe Rogan because I think people think it's like the monster energy drink of drugs and it's fucking not (laughs) bang energy brain (laughs) it it will it's it will transform you against your will the um but you know one of the things that I you know I really fucked up um last year was uh was with ketamine because I've been reading all these things about um you know, ketamine therapy. And I was at that point of desperation of just sort of flailing around, like I'll try anything. Sure. And the, and Lanigan had a song about ketamine that I loved. He had sent me like a demo that he recorded on his phone. Um, and the, and this is why you must always betray your friends because Lanigan sent me that demo and said, don't send this to anybody else. And I didn't because I'm a good friend. And in the process, I like switched phones and lost that fucking demo. And I, it was so meaningful for me to have that demo and I'm rewarded for keeping my promise to him and keeping that private by losing it. And you know, that's, that's also, that's also darkly poetic because he took it with him and left it with you and you're the last person that got to hear it and yeah. that's honestly that like i said that's kind of that's very darkly poetic in a super fucked up way but also at the same time that's that is an honor for you you know yeah you were the last was, one that got to hear it the it was a yeah i mean it was it was an honor i mean it felt like a fucking blessing you know to have somebody who i uh, who I looked up to that much, um, trust me, you know, the trust is a huge thing, but the, you know, when I was sort of like nosing around at the bottom there, I, you know, filled out an online form for, you know, ketamine therapy mm-hmm. and they were like, congratulations, you know, you're, you're a great fit. Um, it'll be $1,300 please. And I was like, <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Uh, I know a guy spoiler alert. <laughs> drugs are expensive. <laughs> the and uh you know i I knew somebody who could get it for me on on the fucking on the street and the and somebody who i you know i trusted that it wouldn't be fucking laced with fentanyl or whatever oh you mean so you weren't getting like ketamine around the corner from the comedy cellar off mcdougall street (laughs) (laughs) the um no god no the (laughs) um but uh so I went down that rabbit hole and, you know, at first it was very helpful and, um, you know, I sort of like 
learned a lot from it. And I, I felt like in some ways it sort of helped me to release stuff. Somebody um, said, you know, ketamine is like the ketamine is like Vaseline for shedding trauma, you know, Ooh, that, um, that's a, yeah, that which, yeah, yeah, the, but I would say it's more like chapstick. And if you have chapped lips and you put chapstick on, it fixes your chapped lips. And then a month later, you're putting chapstick on all fucking day. Yep. And the, and ketamine became, you know, went from being a thing I did to try and help myself move forward to just being a thing I did. Oh, and so it, it became a drug addiction. This is the addiction. <laughs> addiction, such an ugly word, Jonas. The, um, it became a it became a routine. It Let's became, call it that. It became a project. The, yeah. Um, yeah, it became a routine. I mean, you know, last summer was really rough for me in a lot of ways, you know, because of all the, sh the bullshit going on in my head. But then also I didn't have a vehicle with air conditioning that was reliable, so I couldn't like leave town. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Phoenix is a sunbaked hellscape. And in the, in the summertime, it's just a fucking huge nightmare. The, I was in a bad relationship and like trying to, to keep that together. I tried to go on. I can't remember if it was Zoloft or Lexapro. I tried to go on brain meds and that yeah. just did not fucking work for me the um and i was just you know and with you know sort of like covid shutdowns and stuff i just i couldn't couldn't go anywhere so i was just trapped here the but i had my my dealer's number you know mm -hmm. so i just sort of like kept doing that and um the the takeaway i don't know what the takeaway is you know am i better off now for having done ketamine i don't know am i worse off i don't know the i it, there was definitely some stuff that was helpful and the um you know and, and sharing it with with some friends was really cool the but it transported me from my daily agony too well sure and the you know that i was just sort of like well i'll I'll, I'll do that escape again. I'll do that escape again. I'll do that escape again. You yeah. Know? That's, you know, it's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring up the drug use and the recovery and stuff like that is it links back to the thing that we were talking about with therapy. When it comes to finding, to, to making therapy work, you have to hit some sort of a rock bottom and you, in, in order to like really open up and accept it, you know, accept the therapy, accept the work, accept the, you know, the help that you would get from there. Um, but that's also the way it is with drugs too. Like when, as far as like the, the actual like addiction goes, but like with mine, um, mine was Coke and booze, you know, and, um, uh, New York is singing outside for anybody. Dude, it makes me so homesick to hear the fucking sirens. <laughs> I know. Oh yeah. God. It's really funny. No matter what, like this, and this is all staying on the fucking recording. I don't care. Um, <laughs> like it's that's you know I I host a podcast in New York. What do you want from me? Um, but no matter <laughs> what you do to noise muting or anything, New York is like no fuck you. I'm still here. Like yeah, there's no way to get around it. Um, but yeah, when it comes to addiction stuff, like with me, um, and mine was coke and booze. So those were my two main things. Um, they went hand in hand because with one came the other, a lot of times, you know, I would get drunk and then I would be like, I'm too drunk. I should do some Coke. I'm not as drunk anymore, but I've got a little too much Coke in me. So I should take another shot and blah, blah, blah. 
But then I hit my rock bottom, which was I did so much coke one night that I couldn't even close my mouth. Like my jaw was so tense that I couldn't wow. even close it. And I was like, I've clearly done too much cocaine tonight. I need to come down. What the fuck do I do? So I took Xanax um, and I took way too many uh, because I woke up the next morning and I was like, Ooh, I don't think I want to be alive anymore. Um, and it was like, it was weird because I wasn't sad, but it did whatever it did to my brain where my brain was just like, nah, nah, it's time. Let's go. Um, and then I attempted that and obviously it didn't work, uh, cause I'm still here, but it was such a, such a catastrophically failed attempt um like to the point where it was comical like i tried to take a bunch of pills to go to sleep forever and i ended up curing my insomnia like it was just like ha- like i couldn't have fucked that up anymore this, um that's that's amazing <laughs> right it was the, like um that's that's the first line to a fucking moth story or something <laughs> keep keep that the um i have to disagree with you i think people can change without hitting rock bottom and I'll go, I'll go deeper and Please say do. that I think um, perpetuating this myth of a rock bottom and an epiphany is actually dangerous. Okay. Here's, here's why. The, you can change your life just by recognizing that drugs or alcohol bring more harm into your life than good things. That's, you don't fully agree to, with that. You don't yeah. need to be an alcoholic in order to stop drinking. Or to, or to dial your drinking way back. All you need to, you just, it's just the ratio, right? We, the, it, 45 years ago when I was born and time began, the, everything was binary, right? Mm-hmm. You know, black or white, boy or girl, gay or straight, all those things. And then as we've evolved as human beings, we can see gender on a spectrum. You know, we can see sexual orientation on a spectrum. You know, right. the, and um, I, th- I really think that um, sort of addiction science and, and pop recovery stuff is still 50 years in the past. The, For where, sure. Um, y- you know, the, I, I've had a million rock bottoms and all of them contributed a little bit to um, me being sober today. The, you know, we, we say like, oh, you got to, you got to touch the hot stove before you realize that it's, it's hot. But for most of us, we need to touch it 40 times. Sure. And the, and every one of those times was essential. And maybe the last time we were like, okay, I, I'm hitting rock bottom now, but I, I don't think it would be rock bottom without the 39 rock bottoms that came before. For sure. Yeah. You know, the, so I think that, you know, I mean, for me, like I had an epiphany that I was an alcoholic when I was 17 and, you know, a short 15 years later, I quit drinking, <laughs> you know, the, right. um, so I don't know. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I have a different opinion. And I think that, um, and I think to, to, to talk about it as the, um, TRB, you know, the rock bottom encourages people who are nosing around sure. the bottom to be like, well, I got to go out and have one more big night and hit right. rock bottom, you know, and you can live there for years. 
fully agree with that. Or you can okay. die looking for your rock bottom. So this is this is why I like having these conversations because this is something you just brought something up to me that kind of makes me have to uh, reiterate what I was saying and also change it a little bit, clarify some stuff. When I say when when I personally say a rock bottom, I'm not saying necessarily that it has to be some catastrophic event or anything like that. I think the wording of rock bottom is incorrect for what I'm trying to get across. I think there has to be a thing that happens, whether it be big or small, that flips the switch in your brain that yeah. makes you want to get the help. Yeah, there, there definitely, there has to be that. I mean, maybe it's just the the needle twitching from unwilling to willing. That right? Yeah, that's what the, I mean. It's just like um, something that moves that needle. Al Kanin has that great thing about like, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I stopped drinking. I didn't quit drinking. I stopped drinking. I, I haven't hit rock bottom. I hit the sides a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> hit yeah, the yeah. sides an awful lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I, I think, I do think that that's, you know, it's important to, to see it that way. But, but I mean, that's the, when, when I talk to people and they're like, oh, how did you quit drinking? How, how do you do it? I just can't seem to do it. You know? And I really, and I, I do honestly believe this, that, when you're unwilling nothing will fucking work for sure and when you're willing anything anything can work yeah you can be like i'm gonna fucking yoga myself sober or i'm gonna you know i'm gonna dark souls myself sober and the right if you have if you got your mind right if you've had that you know ah fuck time to change i gotta change everything you know the um I, th I wrote at some point, I can't remember if we made it into a book or not, but I, I, I wrote about like uh, shitting my pants close to my house and then just, like, <laughs> I got to just, and the, I shit my pants on my doorstep one time and I was just like, <sighs> really? I didn't even, I, I was at the front door. All right. The... Get your life together, Jonas. <laughs> Wait, were you leaving the house or coming home? <laughs> I was coming home. That was the worst. It was like my asshole synced up with the Wi-Fi, and it was just like, all right, we're online. Dude, dude if you're leaving, if you're leaving home, fucking, that would be the worst. <laughs> it's like, ah, fuck, today's canceled. Yeah, uh, no more, no more today. <laughs> but the, but I said something about like that cold turd of my pants being like a fucking billboard from God that just said you must change your life. You know, right. The, and I was just like, I, yeah, fucking everything's got to go. The, the pants, the underwear, the socks. I've got to throw, throw it all away. away. Yeah. <laughs> Start well, over again clean. And that's, that's kind of what I was saying. Like with the whole thing is just like, it can be any moment. It can be any act. It can be any situation. It can be any moment. It could be, it could be something as simple as a word from another person that hits you a certain way that makes you go, oh, fuck, I got to change this. Mine happened to be extreme because it was that I tried to fucking off myself, but I know yeah. plenty of people. I know plenty of people that it didn't have to be that catastrophic situation that happened. It was a thing where like, you know, I've had a friend, I have a friend of mine who's been clean for quite a while and it was because he was, uh, you know, he was, he was going through it. You know, he had a pretty gnarly, pretty fucking gnarly drug addiction. And one morning he just woke up, um, just completely hung over, sweat through all of his clothes, completely ruined a mattress from like, just, you know, he pissed the bed and like, it was bad. And he woke up that morning and he was like, yeah, it's enough of this shit. He was just like, I'm fucking, you know, I'm X years old. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to fucking do this anymore. So he went and got, you know, went and got the help. Like that was the thing that happened to make him be willing to be like, all right, I'm fucking, I need to change this. 
And that's kind of what I was like saying about therapy too, is you have to, like you said, the needle has to move from unwilling to willing in order for the therapy to do what it does. And like therapy is an interesting thing because therapy is fucking painful. Like it's, yeah. you don't walk into therapy and like, you know, walk out all smiles and kittens. Like that's not how that's, that's not what that is. Like you're peeling back layers of shit that you've been drowning or, you know, like whatever for so many years, like you're pulling that shit out and you're dealing with it like right in front of your face. And when you get a therapist that works for you, like that, you know, clicks, there's no better feeling like when you can actually let that shit out and like really actually work on the problems that you're having. Like, even though it's not sunshine and kittens, it feels, it feels good. Even if it's painful, it's like that weird, it's that weird, good pain where you walk out of it, where it's like, uh, like I'm sore, but this feels good, you know, at the same time. Dude, the the best tweet that I read last year was somebody wrote, I hope my therapist has a good Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking saddest, funniest thing I've ever read. I just it the I mean, that's the thing about therapy is that it's 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 one of those things that where it's both too expensive and also we can't pay those people enough, man. Oh, fully agree. The absolutely agree. Yeah, it's it's when I when I went to therapy, I actually had my therapist, my original therapist that I had when I went. This was kind of funny because I went there and like we got into the like stuff pretty quick and they were like, what is it that you want to work on? And I was like, I want to work on uh, past trauma from the way I was raised and like stuff that happened in my childhood that's starting to come back like as I've been, you know, more sober and stuff. My brain was like, hey, remember all that shit that you've been drowning for so many years? Like, hey, here's a reminder. So I had to deal with that. And um, the therapist asked me for one event that stuck in my brain. And I was like, oh, that my biological father left me as collateral for a brick of heroin. And the therapist was like, you know what? We're probably going to need to get you a different one. Like they were just, they didn't even fucking try. They were just like, this is out of my pay range. We're going to go ahead and upgrade you to the supervisor and we're going to have them deal with this. Jonas, that's, yeah. ac- that's actually incredibly sweet. Do you know how much a brick of heroin goes for? <laughs> Dude, that's the thing. <laughs> right. And that's like, it's so funny because as I've gone through therapy and I found this was like this whole situation with my biological father, like he died when I was 13. Like, so, you know, he's been gone for a long time, but it was kind of like my, it was kind of like the thing that I had been reaching for in comedy where I was like, I want to make that situation funny somehow because it's been haunting me for fucking years like for 25 years, I had this thing in the back of my head where I fucking hated my father because I thought that he didn't give a fuck about me when I was a kid. And like, you know, fast forward through all the therapy shit that I've gone through with it. And what I ended up landing on is that like, he was a shitty father, but he was a fucking great negotiator. Like what a businessman that guy was. <laughs> like, do you understand that, that, like how fuck, good fuck he had Trump. to be? <laughs> that is the, that is the art of the deal right there. Exactly. It's like, sure. I fucking, I hated him as a dad, but fuck did I respect him as a businessman? Like <laughs> it was insane. I, but yeah. I mean, that, my my that friends are we, just straight up. It was just like, I can't deal with this one. This is too deep for me. So we're going to put you to somebody else. <laughs> well, I mean, good on that therapist for just being like, Nope, I tap. 
<laughs> like the quick they recognized it quick they're just not my jam this is yeah. not something i can do <laughs> yeah and just yeah just being i i can't help you with this the i i fucking worry about my therapist where i'm like man now she now she <laughs> walks around with all this shit in her head all the like how do how does she deal with the stuff that i you know the but i mean obviously the stuff that i tell her about my life or whatever the it doesn't trouble her the way that it troubles me but right the, does she have still, a therapist who does she go I, see I know. <laughs> the, the therapist of my therapist is my enemy no wait how does that go <laughs> the, the therapist of my enemy is my friend yeah i don't know the, um so one thing with you with how you dealt with um you know this is something it'll bring back to your you know your works so one of the things that you did um after you got clean is you got addicted to something else you got addicted to running jonas we're we're gonna have to fucking fight on this one too man oh my god cool let's fight let's fight it out no seriously though how did this this is an this is an honest question though how did your life transition from what you were doing before to being the person you are today and like the running thing specifically i the reason i bring it up is because now i've seen this happen with at least three other people in the comedy community specifically who had something change in their life uh, whether it was like full sobriety or like partial sobriety or whatever the case may be and then they started fucking running and they've been doing it now for you know a year or whatever and like their entire life turned around it was wild the so one of the reasons i always get my uh my feathers ruffled about the oh you know you became addicted to running thing is because the that was very tongue-in-cheek of me to say by the way just so the, we're clear i was I, i'm still gonna <laughs> leap through this zoom connection and throttle you the, you absolutely no, shit all the, over <laughs> i never had to goad myself into fucking taking a drink or doing a line or eating pills or whatever the, and every morning i wake up and i'm like you fat old piece of shit you fucking weakling you coward put your running shoes on do it the like i ha- i still have to force myself to do it i don't want to run the um i didn't want to run this morning and i was like oh, i'll just take the dog to the dog park and i was like ah you no know, you fuck all oh, you 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 either do this one little circuit with her or you go to the dog park like it's monday there's not going to be anybody out go for a fucking hike just drive down and like hike and then i went and t- took her down there and we were hiking and then i was like i can run this you know and, and i started running the but for me running was um making it um becoming determined to take on the challenge of doing that grim fucking work of mm-hmm. like sweating in public and the getting better you know the um self-improvement you know the um i just came to a, a moment in my life where i'm i was like i'm unhappy with every single part of my life i can't um I can't force people to forgive me for what I've done. I can't force my, I can't force my own forgiveness. Like what do I have control of? And one of the things that I did have control of was the, my body, you know, the extra eight hours that I had each day now that I wasn't drinking or hung over. And so I, I was just, it was just, I was just determined that like, you know, I couldn't afford a fucking gym membership and I couldn't, you know, the running is free. And the, and I was like, I'm just going to do this thing. You know, the, um, I didn't know that I would need to do it as much as I did. (laughs) 
the um like i still um you know i still need running so much in my life the but it's i mean in it's the opposite of an addiction for me it's an it's a powerful anti-addiction medication you know the um when i'm not running i'm not i'm not myself i'm not a good good guy okay i mean i i love that that's great the um but it is i i think too you know we're talking about the sort of that like crystalline moment of transformation where um like a tiny little gap yawns open and like the the impossible suddenly becomes possible you know like maybe i can maybe i can quit coke maybe i can quit drinking maybe i can quit coke and drinking you know the or i can quit prostitutes or you know whatever the sort whatever of sex, it is your vice happens to be yeah. workers or yeah, yeah you know the pornography or whatever the because addiction is addiction at its core the but um the i think to do there there's another thing you know people talk about oh runners high which yeah it's the <laughs> if you do a lot of un- an unpleasant thing, then you feel better when you stop. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think there's That's something more rush. to it. Yeah. Which is the, which is finding something you're resistant to and overcoming your own resistance and doing it. Because when I don't want to clean the cat litter and I'm like, fucking clean the cat litter. You have to do it. And I do it. I get a rush from that of there being something I didn't want to do me exerting self-mastery and saying, no, you're going to fucking do it and forcing myself to do it. And then, Oh shit, it's done. I can cross it off my job list that runner's high compares nothing to cross it off the job list. high, man. Right. Completing a task, you know, you know, it's kind of weird because I like, I understand what you're saying more than I thought I would, because like, I'm, I'm a fucking fat dude. I do not run. That's not, that's not a thing that is in my uh, daily routine in any way, shape or form. And if I am running, there's something dangerous behind me, but I do go to the gym. Like I go to the gym and I do kickboxing and kickboxing rules. Yeah, dude, it's, it's fucking great. Like it's one of those things like I've watched UFC for years and I used to actually like legitimately know how to fight, but I'd never done it in a way where I would go to the gym and I would like hit a heavy bag and I would go through all that stuff. It was, that's not at all what it was. But then when I started going to the gym and I started doing specifically Muay Thai kickboxing. So, you know, you're talking knees, elbows, you know, punches, kicks, like the whole nine, you're working your whole body. And it always freaks people out of the gym because I have good form and I know what I'm doing, but I'm also 300 pounds. So they're like, how the fuck is this guy doing that? Like he just, you know, he did a head kick and his thighs are the size of my entire torso. So it freaks people out, but I like, I love doing it. And then at the end of that, like I'm exhausted, but that feeling like the quote unquote runner's high, it's the same thing. I've worked my body out so much. And I've yep. crossed that off the list. And just like that, that feeling that you get in your body, it's an incredible feeling. Like it really is. And it's hard to explain it because it, it is an endorphin rush for sure. That's exactly what it is. But to actually explain what that feeling is to somebody that hasn't done it, it's, it's very, very tough to actually break it down. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the runner's high or sort of exercising high, it, it is, it, it is real. It is an actual like physiological phenomenon, but the, but I think that I, I think part of it too is the, 
you know, that if you, every day you forced yourself to like go and volunteer at a homeless shelter or something like that. And it was something that you didn't enjoy doing, but that you, you forced yourself to do it because you, you told yourself, this is going to make me a better person. I think that you would still get some kind of high from that, just from the, it, you're exerting care. It's, you know, it's a manifestation of self care. You know, that I'm eating my vegetables. I know that I don't enjoy this. I know that it's good for me. So I'm doing it. It's an investment. Listen, you and I, the, um, in our own ways became as every addict does, who became the master of the short-term solution, right? Sure. Of, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a line and a shot and I'm going to disappear. And the to to force yourself to go to kickboxing, to force yourself to run, to force yourself to change your diet or meditate or do any of those things. What you're doing is you're investing in a long-term solution saying yeah. that this may, this will make me feel worse now but it's going to make me feel better tomorrow and the day after. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. And here's a question for you. Are you one of the people that eventually has that time where you're like, I can't fucking wait to go running. Or is it like me where every time it's just like, ah, oh, fuck, I should just, I should just go do the kickboxing. I should just oh, go get it done. There's an, I don't can't think of any time. Like as I'm racking my brain right now, I cannot think of any time where I'm just like, I can't fucking wait to go do this. Like, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely the, um, uh, I'm right there with you, brother. The, I always have people who come up to me at the like merch table or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I'm not some crazy runner like you who just lives to run. And I'm like, go, go fuck yourself. Don't do not, <laughs> do not say that to me or about me or to anybody that it's like the, um, you know, some people, some people love the shit they do. I, whenever I talk to somebody, they're like, Oh, I love writing. I'm like, you must be a terrible writer. You must not be good at it. the, that's um, really funny i know it's a poor so it's accurate about comedians too don't worry oh yeah the, <laughs> um and uh you know but i i do think there are some people who love running and who love to run the but i am not one of them and just because i do it a lot <laughs> that don't make the mistake of thinking that i like love running the i I love not dying. I love feeling like I'm not dying or I love not feeling like I'm dying. The, all For of those sure. things, you know, the, I love not having to apologize to everybody in my phone book the next day. Love not shitting my pants. You know, <laughs> I remember saying one time I was like, you know, one of the things that told me I needed to stop drinking was I shit my pants on a Wednesday and I'm an adult. Like that should, I should never have that happen. That should not be a thing that ever happens in my life, but it did. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I think that's a good way to wrap that up too, because like you, you like the feeling of not dying. Like, and I think that's, that is one of the best ways to put that is because when you stop doing things that are actively killing you, that really is what the feeling is when you boil it down to its most basic thing is, yeah, I like the feeling of no longer slowly killing myself. Yeah, it like feels like somebody takes their fucking boot off your neck. You're like, oh, my God, I can breathe again. This rules. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's weird, too, because I I think, you know, with the nature of this, sh- you know, this show and everything, it's like addiction comes up a lot. Like, that's just going to be a thing that comes up a lot because there's so many people in the world that are, you know, suffering from it, going through it, et cetera, et cetera. But that is a, the best way to put it is it does legitimately feel like a weight has been taken off of you 
And it's like, oh, I can actually be alive again and enjoy the feeling of being alive, you know? And sure, it's not all fun and games, you know, like you're saying with the running and also with me with the kickboxing and stuff. It's like, sure, the payoff is great. But the initial start of it, every time, every time, it's just like, fuck, all right, let's just go do this, you know? I, I, I have to tell you too, man, the people think that, you know, people, you know, athletes in the Olympics are inspirational and the, whenever I see like, you know, some fucking 22 year old who weighs a buck 20, you know, sprinting, I'm like, yeah, of course you're fucking sprinting. The, when I'm in, when I was in central park and I would see somebody who is 300 down from 360. Yeah. Like jogging, like barely able to like barely above a walk. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's that's fucking inspiration right there like that yeah. person you know the those are the people who keep me going you know the for um you know for people to overcome their discomfort with their own bodies or their own inertia or whatever and be like no fuck it i'm going to the gym the i'm just gonna do it you know the i don't know that always gets ultimate respect for me yeah and i agree with you 100 percent. and that's that's something like there the person that i think comes to mind for me a lot um is dan lamort <laughs> i was just thinking about him yeah because i love dan like i fucking love dan the first time i met dan he was fat as fuck like he was huge <laughs> you know and me and Yo, him does it feel like a fucking betrayal like he went over to the other team now yeah it kind of does when i see him i'm like you skinny <laughs> good. motherfucker like you good, thin good you thin fuck like but just, at the same push time him. just bully him all i have to do is like <laughs> blow a strong wind at him and he'll fucking fly away um just but give like him, he, give him a good shove yeah he was an inspiration to me because it's like i saw what he did you know he stopped with most of his bullshit and now he fucking he smokes weed he runs a lot he eats better like and but that's an inspiration because like you were saying the way that he started that was like one block yep you know it was literally, I'm going to walk this block today, and then I'm going to jog this block tomorrow, and then by the end of the week, hopefully I can run or, a block or two, you know, and then the next week, it was add a little bit more, add a little bit more, add a little bit more, and it just kind of like, it was that thing, and then you could also see, like, when it was, like, the transition that was happening, the transformation, yeah. not just in the body, but you could tell that he was a fucking, he was a happier person, you know? Yeah. And he was always pretty jovial and he was always pretty happy, but like he legitimately, you could tell like that inspired me to see somebody that was as big as he was. Cause I'm like, I'm close to what he was, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit lower, but I'm close to what he was. And to see that is just like, it can totally fucking be done. Like yeah. you do, you have to want to do it and you have to be able to deal with the, you know, the shitty part in the beginning, but it absolutely can be done. Um, and you know, I think this is actually a good place to, uh, I think this is a good place to stop the conversation for the most part, just because, uh, the reason I wanted to say that is because what you've got going on, your, your book, uh, your collection of all of your stuff, uh, is out now. And I know you've been talking about that a lot, um, online and stuff too. Yeah. Um, the, where can I people will, go uh, for it? 
I will plug the shit out of it. The, plug I am it a lot. If you hear noise, my fucking dog just woke up and now she's trying to climb into my lap. That yes, no, I'm almost done. Okay, almost. <laughs> um, Don't worry. Listen, I, New York, New York was singing at us during this thing. My cat took two shits. I'm sure. Like it's okay. fine. <laughs> the um, I'm at Mishka Shabali on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm the only Mishka Shabali out there. Um, I'm selling signed copies through my website. Uh, mishkashabali.com or you can just message me through any social media platform and then the the new book is also available for sale through amazon the so you can either buy it from an independent businessman or uh, a huge evil corporation so up to you <laughs> listen make your choice guys you make your choice <laughs> yep. they should definitely buy it directly from you though but also you know listen i will say this about amazon though your books started as kindle stories oh, yeah the absolutely the and jeff bezos wrote the the forward for the new book so the i it's it's you know tongue-in-cheek when i shit on amazon you of know, course I, I, would not <laughs> be, I would not be where i am without them yeah but that's kind of an interesting story too i mean obviously we could do an entire episode about that stuff but that is an interesting story the fact that you uh you know you went from some kindle stories to how many books do you have now the well i just have the my memoir i swear i'll make it up to you and then you know the collection those are the only two physical books but the i've written whatever seven or eight sort of like little mini memoirs that are um, published digitally sure and then the uh the new collection it the yeah the new collection in um you know in physical form did that just come out yeah it really just came out the i mean i think what month is this april it came out last month Okay, I okay, I was correcting because I saw you posting it online and stuff, and I was like, "Oh shit, that just came out!" Like, I I didn't, I personally didn't know that that had just came out right then, but I saw that you were posting it, so I was like, "I feel like that just has to be a new release or something." This this is where I am as a human being is that everybody knows that I went crazy last summer, but nobody knows that I have a new (laughs) book out because I'm far more comfortable being like my head is imploding than I am being like buy this thing that I made. For sure. That that very much is an artist brain too. <laughs> Just because like, oh man, like I'm gonna tell you all about my things, but also I have this thing that you should buy because I do need money. Like yep. you know it's funny, you um this is uh one of the other things that kind of links back to everything that we've talked about here. Your book, uh your first one, um, I actually had sent that to a friend of mine um that was uh going through some early recovery and just you know friend to friend person to person uh it helped her a lot so um that's awesome yeah that was a very cool thing for her to be able to read and see a a different story you know a different side of it a different experience that she actually related to quite a bit um you know and that's actually one i um remember you had written like a little personal message and a signature and stuff like that too so that was a really cool thing and uh so i've seen it in real world uh you know real time actually Uh, help somebody so that's very very cool um this has been a great episode man thank you for coming on and thank you for uh talking about everything and bearing your soul with us and you know not holding back at all which is kind of what i expected from you absolutely (laughs) never would have expected you to hold back (laughs) good to catch up with you brother absolutely so um everybody uh just again um this is the traumedy hour so again if you're going through anything um hopefully what we talked about today you know, at least helped you a little bit. Um, in any way, you know, I think that one of the biggest problems with mental health or addiction or trauma or grief or any of those things is that sometimes you feel like you're alone in your experience. 
And I really hope that anybody that listens to the show, you know, it, I hope that it helps you feel like you're less alone, you know, and I know everybody's experience is not going to be the same, but I feel like experiences a lot of are, a lot of them are similar. And that's something that I struggled with a lot when I was dealing with things, especially early on. Um, and I think also with the pandemic too, isolation was such a big thing yeah. that I think it kind of, you know, I think it really did a lot to a lot of people, um, you know, yourself included, me and you both. Yep. I think it really um, made those things even worse. So hopefully with this, you know, with us talking today, um, I really do hope that it shines a little bit of a light on at least somebody's life to help them understand that maybe they're not as alone as they thought, you know. Absolutely. And uh, and obviously, everybody, uh, buy the books, buy them directly. Uh, you know, I mean, if you have to go to Amazon, I get it. I understand. Listen, I got an Amazon delivery today. All right. It's all right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to whip your ass over that, but if you can buy it directly, buy it directly from the artist. I know that helps. Um, and again, if you have any questions, um, if you ever want to reach out, my DMS are always open. If you just feel like you need to talk to somebody and, uh, you just want to bullshit, I'm always about that. I don't, I don't have to know who you are. I don't have to be, you know, close friends with you or anything like that. If you need somebody to talk to and I'm available to talk, I am happy to do that. So uh, anybody that needs that, please go ahead and take advantage of it. You can find me on Facebook. I almost always have a Facebook profile picture that's like a fucked up uh, mashup. Right now, it's Willem Dafoe and Guy Fieri, and I think I'm going to keep that one for a while. So that's the one you can always find me on. Uh, Twitter at Jonas Barnes, Instagram at Jonas Barnes Comedy. Uh, Message me anytime if you have any questions, anytime if you just want to talk. Thank you guys so much uh, for listening tonight. Um, Mishka, thank you so much for again being on the show and uh, telling everybody about your experiences as well. Um, and that has been the Traumedy Hour. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll be on here next week as well. Thank you.